All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Matt. And Matt, what are we talking about today? Well, Aaron, today we're talking about WonderCon. Uh, it's just Matt. Aaron is moving to Georgia for some Walking Dead action, so I'm going to introduce our next couple little episodes by myself. I think I'm up to the task. I've been doing this a while, and Aaron wrote everything down that I'm supposed to say, so... We are the Launchpad Podcast, and you could follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LaunchpadPod, and on our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have to give a big shout-out to Jason Schachter. He runs Essential Sequential, which is an outfit that just reps all these great artists, Dave Johnson, uh, Andy Kubert, Tim Sale, and on and on and on and on. Uh, Jason did a great panel with Tim Sale that we got to watch, and he helped us out with getting some of these interviews going. So Jason, Essential Sequential, thank you guys. You guys should check out his website at EssentialSequential.com. Let's get this stuff started. We are talking about WonderCon today. Uh, Actually, for the next few episodes, we'll be doing WonderCon. We have a ton of great interviews to share with you guys, so we're going to break them into a couple pieces and give you uh, like two or three interviews at a time, and we really got some fun creators, some fun interviews with some great creators. The first round of interviews we're releasing are with none other than Charles Soule. He is a writer. He's done so he's actually a lawyer and a writer. He's written so much from Wolverine to Darth Vader to Daredevil. He is really cool. He was very excited to talk with us and he knows his stuff. He knows these characters. Next up we have Artist Tim Sale, who, no joke, is one of my absolute personal favorites. You guys have heard me talk about him many times before. He's the artist on the Marvel color books. He's the artist from Batman Long Halloween and Dark Victory. He has done so much, and he has drawn, you guys know, my absolute favorite comic book page from Spider-Man Blue in any comic book ever. Uh, We were lucky enough to talk with him late one night at WonderCon. Check these interviews out. Let us know what you think. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right. Launchpad Podcast here at Anaheim WonderCon 2019. Matt, who do we got? Uh, I- I'm a little starstruck right now because we are here with none other than Charles Soule. You've written Daredevil. You've written Darth Vader. You've written Wolverine. You, I mean, you're all over. I am a huge Daredevil fan. Mark Wade's run was interesting, and it was a different take on the character for sure. But I felt, for me personally, I kind of strayed a little farther away from where I want my Matt Murdock to be. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for bringing him back. <laughs> I thought what Mark and Chris Somney and, and Paula Rivera and, and Marcus Martin did was was beautiful. Anyway, so I read a ton of stuff for Marvel, uh, did some stuff for DC, a lot of my own things. And speaking of Daredevil, um, I, I loved what Mark did uh, structurally. I thought it was very entertaining and very fun. I thought he's just such an incredible writer. He gets to the humanity of, of his characters in a in an, a really like astonishing way. But whenever you take over the mantle on a on a, a legendary character like Daredevil or sure. Wolverine or Darth Vader, any of them, you need to write put your stamp on it, right? Your version of it. Absolutely. And for me, you know, I have, I have a legal background. I was an attorney for a long time. Um, I mean, I technically still am. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I I was raised Catholic. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm blind. I'm a ninja. You know, so <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I felt like I really had some insight. Right where you know. Exactly into the way Daredevil could could be. Um, but no, mostly it was the legal stuff. And I I thought like leaning into that and really thinking about the way a lawyer would approach being a vigilante because you know, during Mark's run. 
Daredevil's identity was outed, right? Sure. He was, he was, he, everyone knew that Matt Murdock was Daredevil. Yep. And I was like, so there's no way he can ever be a lawyer again, like period. I mean, as, a, as an attorney, you cannot, you would be disbarred forever if, you, if people know you're committing crimes. I don't care how, how noble your reasons are for beating up criminals in hell's sure, kitchen. Yeah. You can't practice law. So that was, you know, my agenda number one was to, to put his secret identity back in the bottle. And I did in typical comic book fashion um, with, you know, random crap happening. But it, um, <laughs> but it seems like it landed. People bought it. You know, that's all you really sure. have to do. Is, it doesn't yeah. matter how crazy it is as long as people kind of land on it. And then, and then for me, it was about getting him into positions where he could really use his legal skills, uh, which, was, which was exciting. So I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And as far as the legal skills is concerned, most of our listeners are okay with spoilers. There was a very big legal battle that happened yep. in your pages. Can you tell a little bit about just maybe quick tease of or, or tell what it, it was sure. and maybe what actually went on as far as researching how yeah, that course. might actually yep. be a thing? So so what you're talking about is the um, the arc where Matt Murdock goes to the Supreme Court. Yep. Uh, and it was it was part of a story arc called Supreme. It's it's volume five of my Daredevil run. Uh, and and as I said, you know, one of my big agenda items or bullet points when I went into the book was to to really dig in hard to him being a lawyer. And I'm like, what's the What's really the, the pinnacle of being an attorney? I mean, there's a, people could say different things, but arguing in front of the Supreme Court is certainly one of them. And so then it became about sort of constructing backward a path that would get him there, because it's very difficult. Most cases never end up there. So it, sure. it had to be the right kind of issue. It had to be something that the Supreme Court would want to hear. There's a lot of that. So I, I did a lot of thinking about, I mean, a lot of that I already knew because I'm, I'm an attorney, right? So I know the kind of course that the court hears. But as far as specifics, uh, I have a, a family, like a relative who, who's also an attorney who who's argued with the court, uh, argued in the court before. So I called him up and, and talked to him and he gave me his insight into not just, you know, the procedural stuff, because that I could look up myself. Like I know how a Supreme Court argument proceeds, but it was yeah. more like, what does it feel like to walk into the room? What does the room look like? What is, where do you, where do you sit and wait before you're in the room? And, and those details really, I think, made it, made it land in a different way. I, I said this in the run, but, but when, you're, when you're arguing before the Supreme Court, a lawyer has the ability to affect the entire country for for decades, centuries to come. Like there, there are Supreme Court landmark cases that have changed the direction of the United States literally for centuries. Sure. And so when Murdoch walks into that room, he is he is essentially becoming a, a, a superhero in a way that yeah, yeah. You know, obviously he was as as Daredevil, but it's him as a lawyer. And so I wanted to make it feel like that for the reader. I wanted to pay that off for the reader and, and hopefully I did. It, it was fantastic. You brought all this fascinating courtroom drama, which can be a lot of fun in a genre in itself. How did you balance that with the action of a Daredevil comic? Well, it's it was complicated, right? Because there's only so much people only have so much tolerance for courtroom talking scenes. You know, different people have different you know different tolerance levels yeah. for it. But I, I wanted to make sure that you know you had things like you have the kingpin not wanting the case to succeed, so he hires Tombstone to, to assassinate Dirt, Matt Murdock before it can go. Sure. Right. Um, and so that gets you some action sequences and all that stuff, but. Uh, there, there was a bit toward the end, you know, in the last issue of the run of, of, of this arc where I knew Matt was going to have to give this big impassioned argument in front of the Supreme Court justices. And that's really just him talking to them. Right. But I was like, there's got to be a way to really ramp this up. And so I did it from sort of within Matt's mind space. Uh, and so you have the, the justices sort of, it sounds dumb when I describe it, but like on the page, I think it works so well. The justices leap off the bench and start attacking him physically. Like, you know, Ruth mm -hmm. Bader Ginsburg is like trying to kick him in the face and stuff. And and Matt is, and as that's happening, they're, they're asking him the pointed, very specific questions that they would be asking, trying to poke holes in his argument. So sure. it's, it's the way it feels for a lawyer to be doing that, like you're under assault by these brilliant legal minds and you have to defend yourself. But on the page, it looks like this incredibly cool kick-ass action sequence. So it was a lot of tricks, a lot of tricks like that. Very cool stuff. Well, if you guys haven't checked this out yet, you need to read it because it's hard. I got to give you a lot of credit. It's hard to make a lawyer 
and a courtroom scene, interesting in a comic. It's not really, I mean, it's not what your first go-to is. But the scenes where he's in costume are the same level of interest and excitement and, and um, importance as far as his character is developed, both in the courtroom and on the rooftop. So, you know, hats off to that. Thanks. So you've been working on the, the Darth Vader series. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you said, you were able to bring such a fresh perspective to Daredevil. How did you take that to, to Darth Vader, who has so much backstory already right. built in through the movies, like it or not? How well, did you take that mantle and part of go? It, uh, was, was to think about the stories we haven't seen told. Think mm -hmm. about particularly the time periods in his life that haven't really been fully explored. Right. My Darth Vader run, which, which was 25 issues, it kind of as always planned, it was, it was like a, 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 a film was commissioned to be about this time of Vader's life. And um, it's set right after episode three. So it's, it's literally the moment after he gets in that yep. suit. He does that big no moment we all know and love from Revenge of the Sith. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and so I started by trying to reclaim that moment a little bit and, and say what happens right after that moment. Like after he's so mad and smashes all the, the robots and things in the room, the droids. They're not robots, they're droids. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then see, really take that moment, take that mindset and go. And no one had really done it before in this way. Like, what, what is, he doesn't have a red lightsaber yet. You know, he, he lost his lightsaber on, on mm -hmm. Mustafar with Obi-Wan took it. He's got to get one. Um, he's got to learn how to operate as a, as a cyborg, which is something he's never, you know, he's never done. He's, he's lost his ability to, like, jump and leap the way he used to like he's just a different person uh and so the whole series was about him accepting that acknowledging it letting go of anakin skywalker in a real way and becoming the vader that he's going to be for the next 30 years until he learns that his son survived so you mentioned the lightsaber which uh part of your run has uh vader going back hunting jedi exterminating jedi and i think right. that's super cool and that's something that we as fans all were like waiting for we wanted to see it's something that we've thought yep. about but I think finding that red lightsaber, I think, was something that I, at least I didn't think about until I started reading that arc. And I was like, oh, that's what a great idea. Yeah. Is, is there a genesis of that idea where you're like, wait, I want to tell the story of how he got Yeah, it was, it was what's, what's my entry point, right? And so the idea was to make him like a man on a quest for a magic sword, you know? Sure. Which is something like Star Wars is fantasy. It's, it's sci-fi fantasy, space fantasy. And so... The idea of giving him a quest like that just felt very right and true, and I think it really worked. You've written Daredevil. You've written Darth Vader. You're also writing some Wolverine stuff. You wrote the death of Wolverine, which people you were bummed him. about, but then you brought him back. Sure. How is it writing a character like Wolverine compared to writing Darth Vader or Daredevil? Every one of these icons, has their, they're iconic for different reasons. Like mm -hmm. The reasons people have loved reading Daredevil stories for 40 years is not the same reason people have loved reading Wolverine stories for 50 years. So... The job is to key into what, what people love, and then as I said earlier when I was talking about Daredevil, is to find your own version of it that feels very unique and special, that's going to feel fresh, but also, that's a fantastic book, you should absolutely pick it up. Yes, I will <laughs> happily sign it for you if you get it, dedicate it, and it comes with a free pin as well. And there's your hard sell, you can put that on the podcast <laughs> if you want. Yeah, what book is that? that uh, is yeah, that's The Oracle Year, which is um, my first novel, which came out in April. It's about a guy who... Uh, who learns 108 things that are going to happen over the next year in the future. And he has like a vision of the future with 108 things in it. And then he has to decide how he's going to release them to the world as they start coming true. He realizes that he oh, kind wow. of has a responsibility. Like, should he be warning people? Should he be, you know, what should he do? Um, yeah. Even though there are unintended consequences of what happens with it. So it's a big, fast-paced thriller. It's really neat. I'm very proud of it. And, and you know, everyone should get it. So that's the Oracle Year, idea. everybody. The Check Oracle it out. The Oracle Year, yeah. And my second novel comes out in, uh, in December, too, which is, which oh, is exciting. Cool. So I'm, I'm on this whole novel path. A lawyer, cool. a comic book writer, novel writer. Yeah, novelist. Just, yep. Man. 
You really wow. have done it all. So yeah, I'm keeping busy. Talking about Wolverine, we're yes, just Wolverine. looking at some of these covers here that you have, and a lot of your covers have different iterations of Wolverine and all the different costumes. Sure. What is it like to get to play with the different versions of Wolverine and like? Well, when it, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about about the way that these characters have this history that you you have to find your own take on it within yeah. within the the overarching gestalt of of what the character means to the readership, and so. I think the the mythology of, of any of them, say Wolverine, like the, the time when Wolverine was Weapon X, like that's a powerful image that means something to people who have been reading about Wolverine for a long time. The Age of Apocalypse Wolverine, the you know, there's there's just so many different versions of him that you can use. It's about trying to use that history and mythology in a way that is potent, that that means something to the readers that wants to make it really land. And it's you know, it's a skill set. You learn it's like playing an instrument. Like playing the history of a character is like playing an instrument. And hopefully right. I do okay with it. Going with that analogy, what instruments are you playing now? Let us know what we have coming out from you. Sure, soon. sure. So uh, as I mentioned, the next I have my next novel coming out in December. Um, I have uh, uh, some massive creator-owned series, some new things that are happening um, over the next sort of the next year or so. Um, I'm doing a book with Scott Snyder that I'm very, very excited about. We're co-writing it. Uh, the artist is amazing. And, and you guys caught me a little early to be able to talk about it in detail, but it's going to be okay. great. I'm wrapping up my image series Curse Words with Ryan Brown, which is a, an, an amazing book, kind of like Rick and Morty with wizards. It's really, really fun. Um, and then he and I are going to jump into another book immediately after, which is going to be just insane and crazy. And, and the premise is, it doesn't, it sounds impossible. And it, maybe it is impossible. We're going to do our damnedest. And then um, beyond that, I have some massive Star Wars projects coming up, the first of which will be announced at Celebration. And then the next one will be announced a little bit later in the summer. So it's, oh, there's a lot cool. of big stuff coming out. Do you sleep at all ever? Not as much as I should, yeah. probably, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking a couple yeah. minutes. Is there anywhere we can follow you? Social uh, media, email stuff? The best place stuff? is Twitter. It's just my name, Charles Soul, S-O-U-L-E. So Charles, S-O-U-L-E, on Twitter. Um, I'm on, I have a website, charlessoul.com. I put a lot of updates and, and blog posts and things there. So those would be the best two places. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great rest of the con. We got Launchpad Podcast here at WonderCon 2019. All right, Launchpad Podcast. We're here, WonderCon Anaheim 2019. Matt, who do we have on the show? Superstar Tim Sale. Thank you so much for taking a couple minutes. It is Saturday night. You were gracious enough for the last, I don't know, month to go back and forth, and you picked the end of the day. First, you picked the beginning of the day, but we couldn't get in that early. Thank you. Did you have a good day, at least? Uh, I had an up-and-down day. Okay. At some point during the day, my hip and back area started really hurting, and then all of a sudden it went away. So if you tried to talk to me a few hours ago, that wouldn't... Oh, oh so this is better than that we waited to the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah, All right. So we got to see your panel earlier in the day where you talked about some of your influences and talked about some of uh, your, your history, you know, writing and, and your... The spotlight. Yeah, all the stuff mm -hmm. that you've done. And it brought up some interesting questions. Uh, one of the ones was your influences, uh, and especially you mentioned like the creepy comics and the stuff that Alex yeah. Toth did. Can you tell us what started you off reading comic books? When I was six years old, my family moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And we drove, and my father bought comics for me. I was, I was reading by then, and uh, he bought comics for me to keep me amused in the car. Yeah. And I remember there, there was a... I remembered later, because I saw a reprint sometime in the 70s of the Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2, which is Ditko doing Doctor Strange and Spider-Man mm -hmm. right. for the opening story. And I, I had this intense deja vu. And then I figured it must have been one of the books that I read coming across the country. Wow. Um, and I, I remember The Terrible Tinkerer, which is a, uh, a reprint in that in the original, it was a, an old like issue 
three of Spider-Man or something like that. So anyway, that was my beginning. And I, when I was 13, I started to get really serious about collecting and, well, collecting as much as I could. I didn't have much money, but, yeah. but, but reading comics was a big deal. Right. This is the 60s, the mid-60s, and Marvel had all the cool artists, Steranko and Buscema and uh, Ramita, Ditko. Mm -hmm. And I didn't discover Creepy and Eerie until later. And then once I did, a lot of those guys, I mean, Ditko worked for Creepy and Eerie. Mm -hmm. Gene Colan worked for Creepy and Eerie. So a lot of the, there was crossover with that. But I loved seeing the different techniques. This first time I saw it, ink wash. Sure. And all these guys were just good at everything. And it was little fun stories, and the reproductions were great. And you're talking yeah. about two different genres there. You're talking about superhero stuff as well and as horror, horror stuff. stuff. Yeah. Artistically, did the the styles used in either of those genres speak to you more, whether it was as a kid or when you revisited those issues later? Later, the black and white stuff did. Mm -hmm. But no, as a kid, I just I liked it all the same. I'd never seen anything like Storenko sure. in my life. I'd never seen any, anything like the. Uh, musculature and anatomy that Buscema could bring to Silver Surfer and Avengers and all that stuff. I've never seen beautiful women in comics sure. like what Ramita would do. Big crush on Gwen. Yeah. Who didn't, man? They fucking killed her. You know, somebody didn't have a crush on her. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into that in a second. You keep talking, we'll get into that. So, no, it was all kind of the same. And, and But later, as I got into uh, drawing more myself, I learned more from the black and white. I sure. Think. It was more uh, natural to me. Were there any of those, specifically the horror comics, any, even if you don't remember the names or who drew it or anything, are there any storylines or visuals that stand out to you after all this time? Sure. Grave Undertaking by Toth. Monument by Toth. It was a couple of Neil Adams stories. One he did in pencil in the first issue of Vampirella. Mm -hmm. About a, a woman who comes from the sea and seduces a guy. And then she turns into a monster when she goes back to the sea. Jerry Grandinetti, who was a DC artist that I never thought much of. Did some really cool work in uh, in the black and white books. Angelo Torres did a number of... Uh, who kind of became a second-tier Mort Drucker for Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. But he did some great black-and-white work in Creepy and Eerie. A lot of different things. I can't mention titles except for the total, sure, yeah, total yeah, yeah. ones that I, I saw. Well, something else that you mentioned that I, I really enjoyed is when you asked, you know, the great artists and, and uh, the freedom that people get is when they're asked, well, what do you want to draw? And something that you were asked is, what would you be interested in drawing? You mentioned Dr. Doom, and I am a huge Fantastic Four fan. And to just ask you to expand on that, what about Dr. Doom would you want to draw? What would you want to expand on him? Or what would you want to bring to that character? Well, I think that was a, that was a question about continuing the Marvel color line mm -hmm. books. And so that, that's what made me think of that. Right. No, I just think he's a fascinating character. It's a fantastic costume. As I mentioned in the, in the talk, it was a, uh, nobody's drawn it well, in my opinion, mm -hmm. other than Kirby. Sure. Yeah. So that's a challenge. I've kind of been scared of even trying. Really? Myself, yeah. Do you have secret little sketches of, of, a, of a little Doctor Doom <laughs> here and there that you maybe have done? No, I, I did a sketch cover for Hero Initiative. Okay. Sure. But he's pretty small in the frame. Hmm. Because you were scared or because of the composition of the piece that you were trying to because do? Because of the composition, but okay. I, I, chubbed, I was also scared, so that was part of Man, it. Man, I want to try it now. I think you could kill it because you bring a style to it that is so reminiscent of classic comics, but with a composition that is so refined. Another thing that somebody brought up is how busy comics are now. And, right. But, you know, when you look back at Kirby, he's busy. The pages busy. are. Sure. Yeah. Kirby's very busy, but his composition is so good, and he uses the negative space so smartly right. that it's not 
wasted busyness. Yeah, and he doesn't break the panel border before they were doing bleeds at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I never do bleeds. I don't break the panel border. I'd rather have a balloon cover part of the art, which is a lot of people consider it a rule not to do that. Yeah. Mm. But I prefer it. And I try to compose around. That's why I have Jeff. I think he would prefer to uh, not give me much dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I want to know how much room to leave. You sure. Know? So he'll, he'll just write something there. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll just say, look, how much how much room should I leave? Are you going to write something big or is it just a silent panel or something? Yeah, yeah. You know? So there's that kind of thing. And it's not all action lines and explosions. and Sure. With Kirby, Kirby was also great and underrated at quiet moments of drama. Just really powerful ones. And Stan wrote them really well. I miss it in comics. I mean, it is one of the reasons I don't read very many contemporary comics. And your stuff, whether it's contemporary, whether it's a color, cover or a pinup or some of the older stuff, you can see, and we, we heard that on the Spotlight panel this morning, there is a lot of those quiet moments. And I think that that is one of your strengths for sure. Yeah. You said something really interesting during the panel. You said uh, when you, you, you described how your characters are standing and moving in your you know, page or in your panel as acting. And I thought that was a great term yeah. for an artist to use is that. And you had said that you like to observe people to see how they move and, you know, body language and stuff. I guess when you're drawing a specific book, do you purposely say, okay, I'm going to look for this kind of body language when I go out today? Like, how do you, how do you study that no, sort no, no, of thing? No, no, no. I'll use myself as an actor, which most artists do, mm-hmm. if not all. I'll study other artists and outside of comics almost always mm-hmm. and uh, or other illustrators to get the hand gesture just right or something like that. That's very inspiring to do because there's so many good people and they usually work from live models and sure uh, or photographs and stuff like that Rockwell worked from photographs a lot yeah almost everybody did mm-hmm. they would take their own photos uh, of models so there's just a wealth of that stuff out there so it's easy to find really and like I said myself mm-hmm. you know but the hand looked like you put it up different angles stuff like that or I'll have some just somebody like my wife take a snapshot of drinking a cup of coffee or water or something like that how that how that's going to look what's the other hand doing Mm -hmm. you know it's that attention to detail that i think really does kind of separate you from a lot of the the other pack because it doesn't matter if like you say it's an action panel or a a quieter panel but you kind of feel like you're there you're in the room Well, not many people work at the quiet panels sure you know i love doing you had mentioned that you really enjoyed working on hulk gray as a as a as a character you like drawing him what are some of the characters that you really found drawing come easy to you as far as characters that you've drawn, whether it be Batman or Superman or somebody like Hulk? Uh, were there other characters that just came naturally and felt like a really fun character to draw? Well, they were all work at the beginning, mm-hmm. and they became easy. Some probably came a little quicker than others. Batman took me quite a while yeah. to figure out what approach to take. and I found the Joker pretty quickly. Yeah, I love that you said he was a Grinch sort of homage. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. really was cool. Yeah. That was neat. Again, in the panel, you had said that you felt your artwork improved from Long Halloween to Superman for All Seasons to Dark Victory. Right. And Dark Victory, said, was one of your favorites of that bunch. How do you think working on the Superman book helped you on your... You know, I don't want to say I'm not sure. It's, a, it's funny because it's a completely different way of drawing. Mm-hmm. Which I wanted. It was intentional. Yeah. I didn't want it to look like Batman. shouldn't look like Batman. Oh, it definitely doesn't. But then when I came back to Batman, some of it is just evolutionary, more work under my belt. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't especially know. I, I know I use the brush better, which is weird because I hardly ever used a brush in Superman. Okay. 
And sometimes just taking a break but from something. But I did something. more drawing with the brush in Dark Victory than I did in Long Halloween. Okay. And yeah, taking a break. I'm sure that was part of it. But I don't really have a great answer. Well, how about this? You had said that Dark Victory was your favorite of the Batman books. At least your favorite of the Batman yeah. books. Why well, is it I, your favorite? I think what I said is I like it better than Long Halloween. Okay. Why do you like it better than Long Halloween? Because I actually do too, and I don't know that I have a reason, but I'd love to hear what your reason is. Well, long, what Long Halloween really has going for it, it was the first. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the, we used the same template for Dark Victory. But the art's better. I think Jeff was writing better. Okay. The coloring is better. Uh, we asked Greg Wright to use a different palette than he'd been using. Right. And he just knocked it out of the park. Couldn't believe it when I saw it. And in the Robin story had a, a different, the two orphans of it. Mm-hmm. Just gave it a resonance that wasn't really in there. Sure. In, in Long Halloween. We, we didn't really deal with the death of his parents that much. Right. Except for Mom's Mother's Day and Father's Day. Sure. Anyway, it's great talking to you guys. <laughs> we have literally stayed to the end of Wonder. They turned the lights out. <laughs> Tim Sale, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time. They're kicking us out of WonderCon. It's been an amazing time. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We had such a fun time at WonderCon. As nerds and as podcasters, we're so happy that we're able to go to these fun events, meet our fans, talk to people about stuff that we care about, that they're passionate about. It's a lot of fun, and we love to share it with you guys, whether we see you there and hang out for a bit, or if you're not able to make these events that we go to, to listen to us talk about it. Hopefully, it makes you feel like you're there. Hopefully, you get some cool insight into some of your favorite creators Stay tuned right here on the Launchpad Podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking to Peter J. Tomasi and Arthur Sudam. You could follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LaunchpadPod and on our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review, guys. That really helps us a lot. Again, thanks to Essential Sequential and Jason Schachter. So fun hanging out with you guys. We actually spent a lot of time at their booth. Uh, You guys can see them at a bunch of different Comic-Cons. You can visit their website at Essential Sequential and see a bunch of really great art by some real huge artists. We've got some big stuff coming up. Some stuff is going to blow your mind. Some stuff we can't even talk about right now. Some stuff we need you to keep your fingers crossed for us, but I guarantee you're going to like it all. So check it out. Launchpad Podcast, and I am out. Check it out. I'm going to high-five myself. Ready? Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.